Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church, North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. talked about. I got a lot of verses that I have to read to you, so I'm going to jump right into that. So go with me to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to catch you up on your Bible reading for the week, okay? So if you kind of missed a few days here or there, we're going to read enough Bible to kind of like hold you over or catch you up, one or the other, okay? So go with me to the gospel according to Luke chapter 24. We're going to begin reading in verse 13, and we got a few verses to read. Y'all ready for it? All right. Oh, that was kind of a mediocre. Y'all ready for it? All right, here we go. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. This is the day that Jesus had just rose from the grave. So just context here, okay, guys? This is Sunday. Jesus had risen from the grave. He's already showed himself to the women that came to the tomb. He's not yet showed himself to the 11 disciples, which we talked about last Sunday for Easter Sunday, okay? So this happens right in the middle. He, he's, he's resurrected. He, it's right about the middle of the day, and he shows himself to these two men traveling to Emmaus, okay? So let's keep going. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So they asked him, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still with their faces kind of downcast, and one of them named Cleopas now, if, if you're pregnant and you need a name for a kid, Cleopas is available. Okay, so Cleopas, it's out there. All right. If you haven't decided, put that out there when you saw it. <laughs> so Cleopas asks Jesus, kind of salty. He says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus, playing real coy, right? He said, what things? What, what happened? <laughs> and, and they said, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel and what is more it's been three days since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and they told us what they had seen, a vision of angels who said he was alive. Let me pause here and give you some marital advice for all the men in the room. Say with me, listen to the woman. Hey, y'all, let me save you a lot of pain, husbands in the tent. You want to know? This is from 18 years. Don't look at me like I don't know what I'm talking about, all right? 18 years in marriage. Listen to your wife, all right? Women came and said Jesus rose, and they were like, ah, kind of sus. So anyway, it says, then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they didn't see Jesus. So I guess it's because the men didn't see it. It didn't happen. So Jesus said to them, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he was going a little further. So Jesus is fronted. 
He's, he's pretending now. He's acting like, all right, y'all stay here. I'm going to keep on going. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So Jesus went in and he stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes opened and they recognized Jesus. And then he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? So they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They ran about somewhere between three and a half to seven miles to get there. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together. That's what we talked about last week. And they said, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus recognized how Jesus was recognized by them when they broke bread. So for the next few moments, thanks for hanging in there with me, okay? Uh, for the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought that I'm calling the first supper. The first supper. Hey, let's pray one more time before we're seated. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you are doing here in this place. I thank you, God, for how you've moved in our services. Thank you, God, for our 930 crowd and this beautiful 11 a.m. crowd. I pray, God, that as I speak, that you would speak individually to every person that is here. God, you know what every person needs, where they lack, what they're hungry for, what they're thirsting after. And I just pray, God, that you would just fill them up today, reach them and meet them right where they are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Clap your hands, everybody. Let's talk about the first supper. How many of you, um, how many of you got some years removed from high school now? Show of hands. Where, where are my 10 plus? You got like 10 plus years. Cool. All right, where are my 20 plus? I got my hand up. That's me for the 20 plus. I wouldn't stop right there. All right, so <laughs> I don't embarrass anyone. All right, everybody. Y'all hear me okay? I got double coverage now. Okay, so. How many of you, uh, now that you've been out of, you've been out of, how many ever like ran into an old friend from high school? And like typically the conversation goes like, oh, what's new with you? You've changed. Maybe you lie about how far you've gotten in your career, you know, just trying to act like, you know, flex on them, you know, like, yeah, I'm a director. You're a manager, you know, but you're just like trying to impress them. But how many of you have ever like met someone and it's like, you know, it's been like a good 10 plus years since high school. And they've not changed, like, at all. Like, they're a relic. You know what I mean? You're looking at them like, dude, you still dress the same. Oh, my God, you still talk the same. Dude, you still live in the same house. Like, nothing's changed. Like, like nothing has progressed. Has anybody ever had one of those encounters or is it just Pastor Josh? I mean, I have run into some of my friends. I'm like, bro, you're the same dude. Like, I want to say it, but I can't say it. You know, like, you're 35, but you're like the same 16-year-old dude. And it's kind of a crazy thing because we expect people to change, right? We expect for people to progress. We, we expect that people that, you know, when they've moved on from that season of their life, that there are going to be significant changes. And so what we're going to be talking about today is, is really that concept. Of are we expected to change and how should we change in light of the resurrection? Somebody say resurrection. We're kind of continuing on. We, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus last week. And today it's like, okay, what do we do now that Jesus has been resurrected? So let's dive into this story. And what I love about this story is there is so much stuff in this story. I'm going to hit you with three things. And it kind of just gives context to what is happening on that road, on that conversation from Jerusalem to Emmaus. But, but the first thing that happens and the first thing that you got to note is this. The Bible says that there were two men. Somebody say two men. 
The reason that matters, and, and, and I want to set this up, is that, that the initial audience, the people that Jesus first came to, they were Jews. Like, like all the disciples, the, their ethnicity, they were Jews. All the, the, the overwhelming majority of the followers of Jesus were Jews. And, and, and we don't really see non-Jews or what we call Gentiles coming into the church until we get into the book of Acts, which is after Jesus had uh, died, resurrected, and ascended back to heaven. So the church diversifies later, but it's primarily a Jewish audience. And so here on this road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, there's some very Jewish things that happen, okay? There's very Jewish things that happen. And, and as I said just a minute ago, there were two men. Two men. Now, you might be wondering, why in the world does that even matter? Um, the significance of this is that two witnesses fulfill the legal requirement of credibility. It, it, in the Jewish system, in the, the Jewish ecosystem, it takes two witnesses to fulfill legal requirement of credibility. So if you said, if you brought an accusation to the priest and said, my neighbor did such and such thing, they want to see two witnesses. We don't got a case unless we got two. So, so the fact that there were two lets you know that Jesus was making sure that there were enough people to witness now his resurrected self so that when these two people ran back to Jerusalem, they listened. Because not just one person, it's two people. Two people. This is a very Jewish thing that we observe here in the passage of scriptures. Now, the second thing is this. This, this gentleman, when after he kind of got sassy with Jesus, he's like, don't you know what happened in Jerusalem? And of course, Jesus knows. I mean, he should know. I mean, he was the guy that got resurrected. You know what I mean? It's kind of a funny statement to be asking him. Um, Jesus, Jesus gets real coy with him. He's like, what happened? <laughs> I love that. It's kind of like when I ask my kids who made a mess in the room. I don't know who did it, dad. I always yell like, who destroyed the room? And there's like one kid in the room. Wasn't me, dad. It's like, come on. And it's kind of how Jesus is just like, what happened? And so the guy, you know, he, he begins to tell him, well, there's this man named Jesus. He was a prophet. He was mighty by God. But then he goes on and um, he says this. The chief priests handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. They, they, they killed him. Now, again, why does this matter? Death is not viewed equally by Christians and those that have a Jewish background, those who are Jews. You see, the Jews focus much more on life than they do on death. And I don't know if you've been around the Christian church long enough, but how do you know that Christian funerals are something else? Like, we actually get happy at funerals, don't we? It's like some people, if they come into a Christian funeral, they're like, why is everybody happy? Like, like you should be sad. I mean, like in, in Jewish custom, like they have a season of mourning. Like you just come. I don't have time to dig into it. But it's like, like if you've probably seen some movies off this, like you're just supposed to expect it to show up, sit down and shut up. Don't say nothing. You go to a Christian funeral. It's all different. Right. Because we just see death as transition. Like like this ain't forever. Like I, I died, but guess what? Now I'm going to heaven. I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. That's why when we go to our grandma's funeral, we're like going wild. And I love how people who are, aren't from the Christian faith, they're like, what is going on? Why is everybody so happy? Because many people think that death is the end. And, and, and you need to catch this because it's just Jewish man, Cleopas. He's saying they crucified him. He's dead now. He saw that as the end of something. He didn't get the significance of what was happening. Now, now for us, we're in the present looking back at the past. And so we're like, but he got up from the grave. But they didn't know that. They didn't know that. They, they weren't listening to the women, apparently. So they're just like, like, it's over. Like this, this was a great ride, but it's over now. And we got to go back to life and figure things out. And 
Then he goes on to say, so, so he has this finality of it. So it's, again, very, a very Jewish distinction here that the author points out. Now, here's the last one. The author says this. The author says the guy said, and now it's the third day. It's the third day. And I read past that so many times thinking, what does that have to do with anything? This is the third day. Jesus rose up from the grave. But I was reading the book of Leviticus, like said no one ever. <laughs> but, but I was. Uh, I'm in a Bible reading plan. I'm trying to read through the Bible in a year, and I'm on this new plan. I've got a community that I'm doing it together with, and we're in the book of Leviticus. And I'm going to be honest with you. Every time I get to Leviticus, I'm like, oh, God, this is rough. Can we be honest? Some of the books in the Bible are rough, right? Some of them are fun. We like the book of Acts, Leviticus. We're like, you know, it's like, I don't want to do this, but I'm having to do it. It's part of my Bible reading plan. So I decided I was going to change my attitude about Leviticus. So I'm like trying to engage with Leviticus more, thinking there's got to be something in there for me. And then I came upon this passage in Leviticus where it talks about sacrifices in the tabernacle and sacrifices in the temple. And it says that when you offer a sacrifice after the third day, you got to discard whatever's left over. That sacrifice it's over. It's time to move on. After the third day, you just get rid of that sacrifice. And I think that's why this guy said it's now the third day because it's like that, that, that whole thing brings finality, right? It, that, that just brings a conclusion. But, but we know, and the way I read this now is like, oh, man, Jesus is so bad because like he became our sacrifice. And on the third day, the day that was supposed to discard all other sacrifice, what does he do? He gets on up out of that grave. Nothing is accidental with Jesus. On the day where we could have just said, it's just another sacrifice. No, no, this is the sacrifice. Because Jesus died for you and I, he didn't stay in that grave, but resurrected on the third day. He has now given us that ability to resurrect out of our own situation, out of our own drama, out of our own mess in life. He gives us that same resurrection power. This is what Paul was talking about when he said we're buried with him, but we also resurrect with him. And so there's a significance of the Christian experience that we tie our belief to. Now, I say all of that because what's interesting here is that in all of this Jewishness that's happening here on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it reminds me, and this is the first thing that I want you to write down, it reminds me that Jesus will meet us where we are at. Jesus will meet us where we are at. There are some people that have this perception that I need to be good in order to get to God. I have got to come up in order to get to God. I have got to change if I am going to get to God. But all throughout the scripture, I first see a God who comes to us because we couldn't come to him. I see a God who left heaven and came to earth because there was no way for us to get to heaven unless he does that. So he comes to us first. And I want you to get that in your hearts right now, Lighthouse. I want you to understand that no matter how you came into this tent, he's willing to meet you where you are at. I don't want you to think I've got to get good in order to get God. That's not the way it works. We get God in order to get good. But it starts with God first coming to us. And the reason I believe that Jesus was able to, to get to where they were at is because he's trying to meet them where they are at. He's trying to meet them right in their disappointment because these two men were disappointed. I mean, when he was like, what, what are y'all talking about? The Bible says literally they got downcast, like, <sighs> you know, it was like that for them. And, and that's when Jesus talks with them and meets with them and engages with them. All throughout the Bible, this is the Jesus I see. Y'all remember that passage of scripture where it says they brought this woman that was caught in the act of having an affair on her husband and they brought her to Jesus. What did Jesus do? The Bible said he stooped down and with his finger he drew on the sand. Now, 
scholars forever have theorized what was he doing with his finger in the sand. Some argue that maybe this was the first game of tic-tac-toe. No, I'm kidding. That wasn't it. But I think that's not even the point. I think the point of it is that he got low. That, that, that's the main point. It doesn't matter what he drew into the sand. What matters is he showed us that in order to reach that woman in her condition, he had to get even lower to reach her where she was at. And that lets me know that no matter what condition I'm in, he's willing to meet me where I am at. Somebody give God some praise for that. And then the Bible says, he begins to explain the scriptures to them. I love that passage of scripture right there. He, he, he began to explain the scriptures to them from Moses and the prophets all the way to himself. I don't have time to get into this, but that word explained, that's actually the word that uh, we, that, that's the root word of what we call exegesis today. Where's all my Lighthouse College students at? Make some noise of me in the Lighthouse College. This is what we do. We're, we're exegeting scripture, and Jesus exegeted. He explained the scriptures to them. He walked them through it all. And he, he, he started off with Moses, and he started off with the prophets, and then he gets all the way to himself, meaning he gets all the way to his resurrection. And now he's talking about the, the sacrifice that needed to happen, but that how the Messiah was supposed to resurrect. And, and here's why this is important. Write this down. The resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of every person who believes. The resurrection of Jesus. See, listen, we've all got a salvation story. Raise your hand. Make some noise if, you've, if you know, like, I'm saved. Like, I gave my life to Christ. Come on, where are my Jesus followers at? Okay, listen. Your story begins with the resurrection of Jesus. Your story doesn't begin with you. You see, you don't have a story if Jesus doesn't first resurrect. So the beginning of every believer's story is the resurrection of Jesus. So we all have the same origin story. I like that word. Y'all know this, but my son is all into Marvel, so he sucked me into the MCU with him. And so, you know, they started doing origin stories. Let's go back in time. Well, if they did an origin story on every believer, it would all start the same way, the resurrection of Jesus. All of our origin would be the same because if he doesn't come up out of the grave, it doesn't matter how good you are. If he doesn't resurrect from the dead, then he's just another prophet. But the fact that he got up out of the grave, it gives us all the same story that because he got up now, everything that has happened in my life finds its significance. In the churchy world, we call that the term atonement. There's sacrifice, atonement, and sanctification. I don't have time to get into all of that. But without the atonement, it don't matter what your sacrifice is, and it doesn't matter how sanctified you are, there has to be an atonement. And so he has to die and resurrect, come up out of that grave. So all of our stories begin with his resurrection. And so what he did is he met them where they were at. And here's what happens next. He brings them to the resurrection because he's getting ready to hit the reset button. He's getting ready to hit the reset button. Here's what I mean by that. When they finally get to Emmaus, and I love how Jesus does this. Jesus is fronting. He's like, hey, I got to go to the next town. They're like, no, stay with us, stay with us. And Jesus didn't have anywhere to go. You know, he's playing with them the whole time. And so they're like, stay, stay with us. Have dinner with us. It's getting late. So Jesus is like, all right, I'll come have dinner with you. And, and this is now the first supper because the last supper was on the Thursday before his arrest and crucifixion. But the first supper is Sunday. He resurrected on a Sunday morning, and this is now his first supper. And so we talk a lot about the Last Supper, but we don't talk a lot about the First Supper. And there's some cool parallels between the Last Supper and the First Supper. You see, in the Last Supper, he broke bread. What did he do in the First Supper? He broke bread. 
The last supper, he blessed it. What did he do in the first supper? He blessed it. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. So he did this in the last supper, but he also did this in the first supper. But here's where they go in two different directions. In the last supper, when he blessed the bread, broke the bread, gave out the bread, he said, do this to remember me, right? Y'all tracking with me so far? He says, do this to remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. In this in this scenario, he doesn't do that. What happens? The Bible says that as he blessed and broke the bread, all of a sudden they got revelation of who Jesus is. So the last supper was done to remember him. The first supper is done to get a revelation of him. So whereas the last supper was towards remembering, the first supper is towards a revelation. And he's still bringing us back to this place of the first supper. He's still trying to reveal himself to you. I know you've been in church your whole life, but until you've made him your personal Lord and Savior, and until you have a personal relationship with him, you don't have a personal revelation of him yet. And he wants to make sure that every single place here, every single person here in this tent, you can't get saved off of your mom's revelation. You cannot get saved off of your dad's revelation. It doesn't matter how amazing your grandparents were. If you don't get a personal revelation for yourself, you don't know who Jesus is. You've got to get a personal revelation of him. This happens at the first supper. Now, what's now my, my mind starts thinking weird things when I see the first supper. I don't know how you approach the scripture, but I typically come to the scriptures with more answers than I have questions. And I ask a lot of questions, with more questions than I have answers. That's what I meant to say. And, and so I typically have a lot of questions when I approach the Bible. And so as I'm reading this passage of scripture, you know what I'm wondering? Why didn't he have his first supper with the disciples? They go, why did he pick these two random guys and decide to have his first supper with them? Now, if I'm a disciple, maybe not you because you're more sanctified than me, but if I'm a disciple, I'll probably get a little salty. I'm like, why? I just checked the gram and Cleopas is having dinner with Jesus. Why, is, why didn't I get, I get invited? I left my fishing business to be with him and I didn't get the invite to the party. They could have been very salty about it all. And maybe some of them were salty. But I started asking myself, why did Jesus appear to these random guys and why did he not go to the disciples? Now, now, again, leaning into Bible college, I, I, I will say this. This is my own personal interpretation. I'd love for you to go study and come to your own personal interpretation. But I have my thoughts about why Jesus did this. I, I had my thoughts as to why Jesus appeared to them and he didn't appear to the disciples. Well, he, here's what I've seen all throughout scriptures. I see this over and over again. Jesus is always one step ahead of us preparing the place for us. Jesus is always one step ahead of us, preparing the place for us. He does this. He tells his disciples, I I'm going to go to heaven. They're like, no, don't go. He goes, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to do what? To go prepare a place for you so that where I'm at, you can be also. How many times did Jesus just say, y'all stay here. I'm going to go pray. And he would just leave. And he, he did this all throughout his ministry. He always seems to be at what is next. He always is one step ahead of everyone else. Here's the reason why. Write this down. Everything that is present to us is past to him. This is what you need to know about the omnipotent God, okay? Everything that is present to us is past to him because he's already been there. And because he's outside of time, the Bible says he knows the ending from the beginning He's always one step ahead of us, but he's making sure you're prepared for what you're about to step into. You guys got to get this, okay? He's always one step ahead trying to make sure that we are ready for where he is taking us. This is another thing that I want you to write down. It's on point, but it's a little off point. This is why prayer, prayer may not change the outcome of tomorrow, but it will prepare you for tomorrow. 
I'll let that simmer for a second. Prayer may not change the outcome of tomorrow. Because we pray, and sometimes what we pray for doesn't happen. Why? Because God's not obligated to give you what you want, but he will give you what you need. Sometimes what we want, we think we need. He's like, no, nah, you don't need that. God, I need this. Nah, baby girl, you really don't need that. And he knows already. So he, he is not obligated to be your genie in the sky. He is obligated to be faithful to his word. And he is faithful to his will. But make no mistake, if you're praying for something that God knows is not in your best interest and is not in line with his will for you, he ain't going to do it. I don't care how hard you pray. And so prayer is not so much about changing tomorrow as much as it is changing me so that I'm ready for what tomorrow has. Because he's there and he knows and he sees and he wants to make sure that you are ready. So what does it have to do with the 12? What I see here with Jesus and the 12, what I see is that he already went to the next audience. He had given three and a half years of his life to the 12, now the 11, okay? And now he's already moved on to the next audience. And so he's talking to that next layer. He's talking to that next group of people. Why? Because he had poured all of himself into the apostles already. He had already poured himself into the disciples. And now... He's getting ready to fulfill Joel 2.28. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So he's getting ready to take it to the next level. And so he's already starting to drip that in. That's Pastor Josh's personal interpretation of why I believe that Jesus went to the two and not the 11 first. He went to the two because he's already operating in what is next. And he's getting ready to church into what is next. So he has to go beyond what was the past. He's moving beyond the past and moving on to what is next. This is next. Somebody say, it's next. And so, as we go back to, let me go back to these last two suppers. I'm getting ready to come to a close. The last supper brought us closer to the fulfillment of the law. Remember, Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. So, at the last supper... The, the, the law is getting ready to complete. It's complete with his sacrifice. This is why the veil in the temple was, was, was torn. Uh, this is why all kinds of crazy things happened when Jesus was crucified on that Friday. And, and so Jesus is getting ready to bring a closure to the law. But at the first supper, he's getting ready to birth out the church. So he's already meeting with the next generation. He's already meeting with the next crowd. So the first supper is him getting ready to start the church. And what is the church and why does it matter? We all know that the church is unstoppable, unquenchable. It is a spirit-filled move of God here on this earth that started thousands of years ago and is still here with us today. How many of you all glad to be a part of the church today? Come on, Lighthouse. How many of you glad to be a part of the church today? Ken, th this is what I believe. Th this is why I believe he was meeting with the two and not with the eleven. He's already going on to what is next. And then later he goes back and he meets with the disciples that, e that evening. Because these two men took off running. And they, they get there and they're like telling him, he's alive. He's alive. He's resurrected. We, we, we've seen him. And then Jesus walks into the room. We talked about that yes, last week. And Jesus walks into the room. But he has to meet with these two because they represent what is next. And they represent what God is getting ready to do here on this earth. And it happens where? At the first supper. Now, what does all of that have to do with me, Pastor Josh? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to close it here. And I know I've put a lot of content into this. Are you guys getting this so far? Are you guys tracking with me? I know I, I hit you with a lot today. I, I was planning this, and I was like, man, this might be a lot. But then I remember y'all Lighthouse Church. Y'all used to a lot. <laughs> so that last supper where, is where Jesus brought it into the law, and the first supper is where the church is being birthed out of. Just as Jesus brought an end to the law, write this down, Jesus wants to bring an end to the old you. 
Just as Jesus brought an end to the law, Jesus is trying to bring an end to the old you. Remember that opener about me and that guy that's still the same guy? He, here's the number one. There's so many things we're going to talk about, about why the resurrection and what does it mean. The resurrection of Jesus gives you the power to change. The resurrection of Jesus gives you the power to change. It's up to you if you're going to actually take it. He doesn't force himself on you. That's not the way he operates. He's a gentleman. The Bible even says he stands at the door and knocks, right? That's how much of a gentleman he is. He doesn't kick down the door of your heart, but he will lead you to this place of change. And, and, and what I see in the macrocosm of the Old Testament and the New Testament is the microcosm that just as Jesus brought a finality to the law, he said, okay, and now we're done with the law. The, the law is over. I believe that there are many of you that God wants to bring an end to the old you. Because there are too many people that are not experiencing the full power of the resurrection of Jesus. What do you mean by that, Pastor Josh? You want some of Jesus, but you still want some of your old habits. You want some of Jesus, but you want some of the old stuff you used to do. You want some of Jesus, but you want it on your terms. You're coming into church thinking like it's the old Burger King, where it's your way right away. All the young kids in the room don't even know what I'm talking about. I know, it's a 90s thing. It's a 90s thing. Where are all my 90s people at? Come on. <laughs> oh, it's an 80s thing. I was just informed. It was an 80s thing. I'm even older. Thanks, Patty. And so... And so the resurrection of Jesus gives us the power to completely change, but it's up to you whether you're going to embrace that change. The, resurre the resurrection of Jesus, just like it brought an end to the law, it brings an end to the old you, but it's up to you to bring an end to that old person. You can continue to be like that guy that finished high school, that never quite grew up, you know. You can continue on with that whole Peter Pan syndrome, or... You can grow up and to be the son or daughter of God that he's created you to be. And, and, and this is the last thing. What he doesn't want to do, he's not trying to be some accessory in your life. And, and, and I wonder about the cultural climate of the church today. I'm worried that the cultural climate of the church today sees Sunday as an obligation to, to just a box to be checked. Let me take a picture so I can post it on my social media. Let everyone know I'm all about God and country. Praise the Lord. <laughs> just like, he's just an accessory. He's not trying to be an accessory to your life. He's not trying to upgrade your life. He's trying to transform you. That's the last thing I'm going to hit you with. He's not trying to upgrade your life. He's trying to transform you. They're two different things. A lot of you want the old you upgraded. But the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a, what? New. It says, the former things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's kind of like the caterpillar and the butterfly, right? I mean, the caterpillar, you, you don't even see the caterpillar when you see the butterfly, right? You have no idea what the caterpillar looked like. And yet sometimes we get so caught up in what we used to do. Man, you should have seen the old me. We used to turn up. You should see the way we used to get down. At some point, you just got to cut ties with the old you. And just say, I'm a new person. I'm a new creature. The resurrection power of Jesus has allowed me to become a brand new person. And that's what he wants to do in and through you. So he'll meet you where you are at. But he invites you to change. He invites you to change. So, so what said all that? I don't want you just getting one little sign, sound bite and putting that up and say, 
They think you can just stay any old way. No, no, no. He'll meet you where you are at. But he invites you to change. He, he invites you to come up. He, he, he invites you to become a new person. He invites you to be that new person that the resurrection gives you the power to become. Because without the resurrection power, I couldn't become a new person. How many of you know that you couldn't have done this on your own? Like, like you tried doing it before Jesus. Like, like you tried doing it before Jesus. And all that led you was, was disappointment. Maybe you, you ended up broke. Maybe you just ended up with some fake friends. Maybe you ended up with an addiction because you tried to do it your way. And you didn't go to Jesus. And I'm not here saying when you've tried everything, try Jesus. No, 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 no. Don't go try everything. Just try Jesus. Just, just go to him now. You, you don't have to go and live a life of disappointment before you finally come to Christ. You can come to Christ right now and experience the change that he has for you. And you can experience the resurrection power of God in your life today. Clap your hands if you want that for yourself. Come on, somebody clap your hands and make some noise if you want that resurrection power. Give God some praise if that's the power that you want in your life. I want to become that new person. I want every part of me to be changed. I want every part of my life to be transformed until the point that I'm no longer recognizable by the people that knew the old me. And church, this is where I want to lead you to. Do y'all remember our theme for the year? It's deeper. Why? Because we want God to do a deep work on the inside of us. Right there we are. Let me pray for you. Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for everyone that is here. I thank you, God, for every person that has come, every person that is here in this message, every person that's here in this word. God, I just pray right now in your name that you meet them right where they are at. I believe, God, that there are hearts that are hungry. There are people who are thirsty. That They just want more than what they've experienced so far out of life. Some people want more than what they've experienced out of the church. There's just some people that need a genuine encounter with you right now, God. Would you meet them there? Would you meet them there? Right there where you're at, would you just meet them, Father? Would your presence come into their life? Would would they just begin to feel you working in their heart right now, Father? In your name we pray. In your name we pray. I'm going to invite you to stand right now. We're going to actually enter into a time of worship one more time. But if you want more of him, and if you want a transformation right now, I invite you to lean in on this time of worship. Come on, and let's just sing about his goodness and allow him to transform us right now. Come on, every hand raised. Let's just call out to him right now. listen lighthouse is the last thing we're going to do right now would you close your eyes and bow your heads i want to lead us into a time where you get to make a decision to take your next step with god i want to lead you into a time where you get the opportunity to take that next step to to go into a deeper place of transformation and here's how we're going to do that if you've never said yes to jesus 
and you are ready to begin that transformation journey, if you want a fresh start in him, if you want the old you to pass and for the, for the new you to come out, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as a sign of surrender, not to me, but for heaven to see and for your father to see that you are ready for change. So if you've never said yes to Jesus and today you want to surrender your life to Christ, throw that hand up in the air right now, right now. Come on, throw it up real big, real big. If you're throwing that hand up, say, I want a fresh start. I see you. Throw that hand up. You want a fresh start right now. I see you. I see you. Amen. You can put that hand down. Here's here's what I'm going to do. Normally, I'd go right into a prayer, but I want you to look up at me real quick. So so here's what I want you to do. If if you rose your hand, and I am going to lead you in a prayer, but let me just give you some next steps right now. Your next step, if if you're ready to surrender your life to Christ, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But the next thing I'm really going to encourage you to do is to sign up for our next Baptism Sunday. Our next Baptism Sunday is in June. And that's where Paul says, when you go down to the water, you're actually being buried with Christ. And when you come up out of that water, he says, you are being resurrected together with Christ. Paul said that. Paul said that. And so that's why we celebrate baptism here at this church. And if you've never yet been water baptized, that's your next step. Now, the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is we want to go on a journey with you to see you become the person that God has created you to become. That, that's like our mission here at this church, for people far from God to fulfill their purpose in Christ. And so we want to come alongside you and see you fulfill your purpose. How do we do that? Well, we would love for you to meet us at Growth Track. If you've never been to Growth Track, head to the Start Here Canopy right after the service and get signed up. We talked about it during our welcome and announcements today. But this is where we're going to really walk you through your next steps together, how we can connect with you. We want to get you in a small group. We want to get you serving on a team. We want to find out exactly where you're at. We want to know where you are at in your spiritual journey so that we can come alongside you and help you grow and become the person that God has you to be. Does that sound good, everybody? Hey, Lighthouse, clap your hands for everyone that rose their hand right now. There's several of them. And now let's pray together with them. So now just raise your hands. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if if you're ready to take that next step and receive Christ as your Savior, as I pray this prayer, pray this prayer in your own words. Internalize it or just repeat it after me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for what you are doing here today. We thank you, God, for every person that has said yes. So right now, I I make you my Lord and my Savior. Right now, I confess that I've done some things that have pulled me from you. They have pulled me from your presence. But today, I want to be a new creature. From this day forward, I want to be that new creation. So, Father, would you come into my heart? I receive you as my Lord. I receive you as my Savior, never to be the same again. Father, would you order my steps from this day forward until I become the man and the woman of God that you have called me to become? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, clap your hands, Lighthouse Church. We love you all. We love worshiping with you. We'll see you next Sunday at the same If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.